0: Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider. Each week, we invite different specialists to give advice and information about raising children in today's environment. This week, we had on Miami Concierge Pediatrics and we had two different individuals on the podcast, Dr. Aviel Limas, as well as Yaffa Gordon, who is his PA. We really talk about the approach of a concierge doctor. The whole goal behind this practice is to have this communication and a relationship with your doctor. I personally wish I had that as a child. I was terrified of the doctor. I would lock myself in the car. Parents need support. The child needs support. You can make it fun to see the doctor. And really just having this service and medical provider come to your home, which is a more comforting environment. You don't have to go into an office. And doctors are not just needed in emergency situations. These pediatricians and PAs that they are a team, it's really just this exclusive stress-free healthcare within the comfort of your home. One thing that I spoke about with them was really quality over quantity. It's not that they're taking on every single patient in South Florida. They really want to show that it's quality healthcare. They do wellness exams, vaccines, as well as pediatric emergencies, and they are well-equipped and capable of handling everything in between. So please look them up, Miami Concierge Pediatrics, and we discuss many different questions regarding pediatrics and their health.
1: All of the medical care takes place in the home. It's all uh, based around the house call model. We're actually the only ones down here in South Florida that are doing it that way. And the idea was that we know how hard it is when you have three or four children um, and one of them gets sick and you have to go with all of them to the pediatrician. You have to wait in a crowded waiting room and it's it's not the easiest or best of experiences. So here we can bring that medical care Mm -hmm. to the home from the vaccines, from the well checks, um, all the way to emergency care.
0: Today's Tata's tip of the week is my thoughts on screen time. And look, I am not naive. I am fully aware that parents will use iPads and phones and they're exhausted and your child might need a distraction. Here's your phone. Here's the TV. Just watch it. Calm down. I'm not going to tell you to change that, but there are ways that you can use screen time to your advantage. The first one, size matters. I posted about this on my page, on my Instagram. Using a screen that is bigger will actually be less draining for your child's eyes Putting a phone in front of them, they're staring at it like this. Even an iPad, a computer, a TV, bigger is better. So as far as screen time comes, make the screen bigger. Make it structured. Again, I'm not expecting you to always put on the best video, Miss Rachel, who focuses on sounds. Sometimes you're going to put on Paw Patrol. But if you can, use it to your advantage. Maybe make it a more educating show. What goes along with that is less stimulation. A lot of shows these days, for example, Paw Patrol, it's really fast and everyone talks fast. It's a lot of action. And yes, your child can learn about different names and characters, but what I actually wanna go back to is what we watched as a kid. Barney, they speak slow, articulate. They're not screaming, racing around the screen. Another one is, um, let's say, Blue's Clues. They ask questions, they use wait time. They're talking to the screen. What do we have here? And then Steve, the main character, or whoever it is now, is waiting. Dora the Explorer, same thing. They're getting your child involved. So go back to the OG TV shows or YouTube or whatever it is that we used to use. And the last tip I have as far as screen time is ask questions. Your child doesn't have to mindlessly look at your phone, whether it's YouTube or a TV show or looking at the screen you can actually say, wow, what do you see on the screen? What character? What's his name? And that doesn't mean you have to ask 40,000 questions and annoy your child, but you can make it more educating and really get involved in it. They don't just have to mindlessly stare at the screen. So today's tip is really how to use screen time to your advantage and kind of how to manipulate it to be make it a little bit more educating. I am very excited to welcome you both to the podcast today, Miami Concierge Pediatrics. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Um, so I want you to start off just introducing yourself. Um, we can start with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and about your practice.
1: Awesome. I'm Dr. Avial Limis. Uh I was born and raised here in Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm actually from here. And uh, I started this practice about a year ago now. Uh, with the idea to bring medical care to the patient's home, how it used to be, taking it back 100 years, Mm -hmm. when the doctor would always come literally to your bedside. And so that's what we're doing. It's 24-7 coverage, and we're there inside of your home bringing excellent care.
2: Great. And Yafa? So I'm also born and raised here, born and bred second generation. All three of us. Yeah. I met Dr. Lemus working in a larger practice years ago, Mm -hmm. and we would constantly talk about how we could bring medicine back 100 years and how we can you know make it more comfortable for kids and more fun and the experience just more wholesome to feel like it was an experience right and not just a something you had to do i've been working in pediatrics for a very long time okay. i have four children of my own wow yeah i have a 13 year old 11 you have a 13 year old yes i do wow <laughs> okay <laughs> You do not look like you have a 13-year-old. I don't feel like I have a 13-year-old. I still feel like I'm in high school, but I guess I'm not. So 13, 11, 6, and I have a 20-month-old. Wow. So the whole gamut, boys and girls, and peds is like where it's at for me.
0: Right. You both understand the pressure of bringing your child to the doctor as well as just seeing new children and all of that. A lot of our listeners are new parents, just a lot of people, myself included. I had a very big, I told you guys this before, a fear of doctors. I have gotten over it. I worked in a hospital for many years. Um, I appreciate that you guys are trying to bring back that bedside manner because for me, going to the doctor, I mean, my mom would freak out. I freaked out. It was awful. Um, I think it was the worst day for the doctors, for me, for everybody. In regard to your practice, what age range do you guys go from, to
1: from birth, from uh-huh. the moment they're born and all the way till we send them off to college.
0: Wow. Okay. So you go the whole way. Yeah. yeah. And you watch them develop, which I think is important. You form a relationship with them. Right. Absolutely. You provide treatment only in the home. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Okay. Yes. So all of the medical care takes place in the home. It's all uh, based around the house call model. Okay. We're actually the only ones down here in South Florida that are doing it that way. And wow. the idea was that we know how hard it is when you have three or four children yep. um, and one of them gets sick and you have to go with all of them to the pediatrician. You have to wait in a yeah. crowded waiting room and it's it's not the easiest or best of experiences. Yeah. So- here we can bring that medical care mm-hmm. to the home from the vaccines, from the well checks, um, all the way to emergency care.
0: So you provide it all. You're doing the treatment. Let's say, like you said, the vaccines, if they needed a shot, a flu shot, anything, you can just do that in the home with them.
1: Right. That's right. Wow. Yeah. We do all the the well care also.
0: Right. And what about emergency care?
1: So emergency care, we do pretty much everything that a typical clinic uh, mm-hmm. can do and actually, you know, brick and mortar clinic. Yeah. And even more really. So for example, I just sutured a kid on the kitchen table the other day. Wow. Uh, we do that. We'll apply the anesthesia. We'll just suture them up. Um, we can also do IV hydration, you know, hand, foot and mouth. Everyone knows that, right? Well, it can get pretty bad, right? You can yeah. get a dehydrated kid that does not want to drink anything mm-hmm. and that buys you a trip to the ER. In our case, we, we do have a pediatric nurse. She's um, ICU trained. She can put in an IV and we can get some IV fluids and get that kid better.
0: Got it. So is it an annual fee that people would pay? to Is it a membership program? How does it work with that?
1: Sure. We are actually a members-only practice. I worked for a very large private practice before, and I used to see 40 to 45 yeah. patients per day wow. uh, before, which honestly, I, I didn't feel that I was being a good doctor. Yeah. I would come back home and just remember that I had brushed off mom's questions. I was rushing from one patient to the other. I was just trying to keep my head above water. Yeah. And so I had the idea to, to take it back to a model that we had forgotten about, where uh, the doctor would come home, where the doctor would uh, see the patient in their natural environment. So not only was mom there, father, I have grandma there sometimes, I have brothers, sisters, you know, you really get to see the patient in in their natural environment and it provide better care by mm-hmm. Being with them longer. We actually limit ourselves to three or four patients per day. That's all we see. Wow. And the only way we're able to do that is by making it a members only practice.
0: And I think that's great. I mean, obviously, I'm not a doctor, I'm a speech therapist, but we have changed our business model so that I'm going into the home now. I've also worked in a private practice. I would see 16 patients a day, it would be 30 minutes in and out. And you almost forget to even type up notes afterwards because. You, you know, there's no connection with the patient. And I think that's what I lacked growing up with my doctor is a relationship with them. Right. And I think that's very special. Um, I also just think, okay, you left your patient, you're not rushing to the next one. Of course, I'm assuming emergencies, you'll go see more patients in that day.
1: Uh, right. I mean, well, that's why we work as a team. Yeah, uh, got Yaffa, it. Gaffa, yep. here of the northern geography. Uh, okay. And I'm more to the south, but we we cover each other. You know, we're a team, and sometimes I'm in one side of the city, and I just can't rush to the other side, so yep. she'll go. That was today. Um, today. That was today, actually.
2: I was at a patient at 9.30 yeah. this morning up wow. north, and Dr. Lemus was down here, and we were able to tag team like that. Yeah. Right. And right. I think also just going back to what you said, I remember coming home at night and I would like rethink the visits like okay did I miss something did I not did yep. I say that did I not do I need to call them back and let them know you know so it was very very right. stressful you know you what woke I mean up
1: at 3 a.m yeah. several times saying, oh, I Panicked. forgot yep. I forgot things yeah when you're seeing what well, you got 30 minutes I had 10 minutes per patient. um it's, it's, it's unfair insane. it's, it's unfair. Unfair. not really
0: quality medical care it was honest. not yeah it was not
1: quality medical yeah. care I mean it wasn't good for the patient and it yeah. wasn't good for the parents and it certainly wasn't good for the doctors either uh, but yeah I woke up so many times that way freaked out trying <laughs>
2: to. I think right. also for both of our personalities, like we need to give it our all. Yeah. Like I want to be part of your family also. Yeah. And yeah. if you want me to be, I will be. If you don't, then I can I can respect that. Right. also. but like I'm here to be part of your family mm-hmm. and I don't want you to ever feel like you're bothering me or it's not a good question. I'm a mom. Yeah. You know what it feels like. I've been a mom over and over four times. Right. you know. So I I'm a new mom every time, right? You know? And I want I want patients to feel that, yeah, understand that yeah, absolutely. So,
1: so many of yeah. our patients are like apologetic sometimes when they call. They're like, "I know I just called you, and I have one more." Question. I said, "No, no, no. That's that's, that's the what point. You get to yes. do that's right. the point of the system. Yep. yep, You can call me as many times as you want. You can call me late at night. Right. We're gonna be there for you when you need us most.
0: Right. So it doesn't necessarily your day doesn't end. There's these on-call, like, after-hour services that they can reach you if they need to.
1: Correct. Yeah. 24-7, someone will always pick up the phone, and it's not like it's outsourced, and it'll be, you know, an operator in in another country. I picked
2: up the phone at 5 a.m. the other morning. Wow. I heard it ringing under my pillow,
1: so So, we're
0: really there. Wow. (laughs) That's great. That is important, though. I know a lot of my friends are having babies, and they call the hospital, and they have to reach a line to get to the line to get to finally to get to the doctor. Again, a lot of our listeners and just clients we work with, they're new first time parents, even if you have had four children, you still don't always know the answer. Exactly. And I think schools kind of put a lot of pressure on parents to figure it out, especially post-COVID, you know figure out what your child has and then give us a doctor's note. And I think if you guys are there to do that, it's you're you know, enhancing the relationship even between the school and the parents, which I think is great as well. So speaking of our families, we have a lot of new parents that wrote in some questions. Just, I'm going to throw them out at you guys and just give us your best answer. So when it comes to working with a team of therapists or physicians, do you guys, maybe if it's not your specialty, someone broke a bone and they have to do something or whatever it is, do you refer out to a special team or hospital or is it you two and you do everything?
1: So you said refer out. Yeah. We we hate talking about it that way because yep. it's like, you're going to refer out your patient and they're going to come back fixed. No, it doesn't work that way. It's about collaboration. Uh, and I so like we that. we actually have uh, an advisory board. It's a specialist advisory board yeah. that uh, does just that. We collaborate with them on a daily basis, um, so you can be sure that you know you're getting the best care for for your patient. If you know, I have a question regarding a, a blood uh, lab that I saw, and I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I call her hematologist. I talk it over with him, and uh, I start any workup. He may start at his own office right. to try to uh, not have an unnecessary referral. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there's, there's issues that come up, and we actually have to refer out. And mm-hmm. these are uh, our advisors that we trust and that we find are the best in, in, in the area down here.
2: Yeah. The cool thing about our advisory board is it's it's totally multidisciplinary. Oh, yeah. So it's not just medical. So it's not just your oh, cardiologist, wow. your endocrinologist. We have GI, ophthalmology, the whole gamut. But we also have an A B therapist. We have a neuropsychiatrist, right. a psychologist. We're, we're working with PTs, OTs, speech therapists. Yeah. And it's really like VIP service for them, for our patients, because we have access to them and thereby they have access to them. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And, you know, and it's not even just that, right? It, the medical component is very important, but also children, they go to school. We need to make sure that they're doing well at school. So mm-hmm. psychoeducational evaluations sometimes are a necessary part to make sure um, that we diagnose issues that may be keeping them from reaching their potential. Yeah. Uh, we also work with college prep advisors for adolescents. So Interesting. We, we have the connections to help out our patients um, in every aspect
0: that's incredible. I was going to ask you my next question about speech therapists and referring right. out what I have found, especially when it comes to lip and tongue ties. Um, a lot of times, some physicians that I worked with in New York either say like snippet or not, and they don't really think about the long-term repercussion of speech or even just the bite breastfeeding. There's so many other components right. and parents then come to me. But if you guys are working with a whole team, a collaborative approach you know, you have people to run questions by and refer. Definitely.
1: I feel finally after so many years of studying and and practicing already as a pediatrician that I'm finally being a primary care provider the way it was meant to be. You know, we collaborated on one patient. She had a a very unfortunate accident and very bad fracture. And then we weren't sure if it was actually what we call a pathologic fracture, meaning there might have been a tumor in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were trying to figure out the case, but that required an orthopedic surgeon, an oncologist, a physical therapist. It required a lot of specialists, and I would sit everyone down at at the virtual conference table, right? It was all over the phone, and I would lead that conversation to make sure I would advocate for her health. And nowadays, you don't usually see that anymore because uh, as doctors, we don't have time when we have 45 patients to yep. see in the day.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the frustrating things about a pediatrician, you have patients who come to you mm-hmm. and they may tell you some of their you know concerns, but they may not. It might not be important that day, right? Their kid is super sick and they're yeah. not thinking about how daycare was yesterday or how they're doing in school. And then on the flip side, you have the ABA therapist who's like, well, did you speak to your pediatrician about that? And the mom's like, no, I didn't, because there was so much else going on. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's supposed to be. Yep. You know, we're supposed to work as a team. We're supposed to collaborate. And the best thing, you know, that we have found is it's easy for us because they, our patients have access to us, we have access to them, and we have access to the specialists. So we're all really working as a family. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's great. A few more questions for you guys. Just what our parents wrote in. What is the best way to prepare for a pediatric visit? Thank me. I was four years old, five years old. I would bite, kick, lock myself in my mom's car. Um, It was traumatizing (laughs) for her, for me. How can you really prepare
2: your child for the doctor? So that's a great question. I like to look at it with two two different schools of thoughts. So the first one is we all have kids who like to know everything in advance. They always want to know in advance. And I think a lot of times parents assume that that's not always a good thing, Mm -hmm. but you can actually use that to your benefit with a child because it gives them a lot of control. And we all like control. I like control. You probably like control. Do you like control? I love it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So giving them that control of this is what we're going to be doing. Do you have any questions? Do you have any concerns? Let's practice when you have a little kid. Let's buy a doctor set. Let's practice. You give me a shot. I'll give you a shot. Let's listen to your legs. I'm sick. I, need, I have a fever. Give me some medicine. So I think with younger kids, preparing them in advance and getting them, you know, on the floor, interacting with them, once they get to the doctor's office, they know what a stethoscope is. They use it themselves. They're a yeah. doctor themselves. Like so the, it's not a um, problem. That Melissa and Doug yes. uh, doctor said mm-hmm. and yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, giving them the control and understanding some kids do need to know in advance. They need to know, you know, what's going to happen. And, What's not going to happen and who's going to touch them and who's not going to touch them? Yeah. You know, I think that's really important. And then you have the other school of thought where you have kids who are really anxious about it. And sometimes it's better not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you're not hiding anything from them, but it's not necessary conversation. That's yeah. what I say. I say it's not necessary. Once they get in the car, you know, you can talk to them about where we're going or once you get to the, the doctor's office. Now, sometimes we have the question, well, they've been here already. They know what the drill is, right? You, do, you can do that one time, but what happens the second time? Yeah. I'm an incentive person. I love, you know, incentives. I I don't call it it bribing. It's not bribing. It's incentivizing. Something is hard for you, so let's let's help you to make it a little bit easier. What can we do to make it a little bit easier? And you might even surprise them in the car. Hey, by the way, I have something really special for you. You know, and instead, or the opposite. You can pick it out beforehand, you know, if they do need that control. So I think, you know, you have to figure out as a parent whether or not your kid needs to know or doesn't need to know, and either one is fine.
0: Absolutely. Either one is fine. Absolutely, and I completely agree, and I wish... I probably had more control. I think I would see the parking lot and panic, but I do think that you guys are coming to someone's home. So they're already feeling more comfortable in this environment.
1: It changes everything. Yeah. yeah. I've been told so many times now, you have such good bedside manner. And I'm like, it's not me. (laughs) I'm in the child's safe space. Right. Um, We do our exams on the floor with them playing on the, you know, uh, in the playpen. Uh, So it's different, it's a completely different experience. They're in control.
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Our next question, is about allergies, food allergies. So I had a mom write in about how she follows a certain diet. She's not necessarily pushing it on her diet, but they try to avoid certain types of dairy or, you know, things in the home. And she is scared that they are going to develop allergies because of this. What is your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, so there's actually... a wonderful study that showed that the earlier you introduce allergenic foods, so foods containing peanuts or Mm -hmm. uh, shellfish, let's say, the less likely eggs, Mm -hmm. the less likely you are to develop allergies to those foods. So you should certainly introduce early. I mean, you can introduce peanuts, uh, not peanuts, but peanut containing products as early as four months, right? You can let your baby lick a little bit of peanut butter Mm -hmm. and that's going to expose them to the allergen and make them a lot less likely to become allergic to that food. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah, I think also following the method of one food at a time every two to three days is really helpful, yeah. especially for new moms who are not used to trying, you know, trying out foods with kids or they're not eating and then feeding their kids food, but they really want to follow uh, a tried and true regimen. And I really do believe, you know, if a parent is concerned about it, yeah. we figured out that you can do one food for three days. You look out for the signs and symptoms and that way you don't have to feel like, but they're four months. How am I going to know? This is, you know, this is a way that we can slowly introduce foods without you feeling stressed. Right. Follow the research, basically,
0: because it does show the earlier the better. The earlier the better. Um, Absolutely. And I think a lot of schools now are becoming allergy-free, so no nuts. And look, of course, a lot of children have very severe allergies, but I think that parents are so scared because it's more common now that they're scared to even give it to their child to begin with which I think is what you guys are I, saying. I've seen is, a lot of yeah. that. I
1: agree 100%. Yeah. But that's where you know, education uh, comes yep. in. And that's that's our part of our job, a huge part of our job.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. What about supplements? At what age do you start with vitamins, supplements,
2: um, trying to boost your child's immune system?
1: So boosting the immune system, well, there's many ways to do it.
2: Parents ask us all the time, what should I give my kid? I want them to be healthy. I want them to be vibrant. What okay. supplements do you recommend? What multivitamins are the best brands? And that's all great. And that's important. And we, know we give vitamin D to our, our babies up until a year of age. So yep. there is definitely research out there related to vitamins. The best nutrients you can give is sleep and good nutrition. And I think that sleep is really underrated mm-hmm. because we don't think of it as something that's going into our body. Yep. It's kind of something like, if my kid sleeps well, great. If they don't, I don't know, I'm busy trying all different things right. to try to get them to sleep. But really, sleep helps your body grow. It helps your body heal. And it really helps with your immune system. And right. we all know what it feels like when we get a bad night of sleep, right? We think we're sick. We're coming down with something. Yep. So I think that we can talk from today okay. till tomorrow about vitamins. But really, I think it comes down to Healthy habits, absolutely. And
1: this is evidence-based, like what you're saying. So there was actually a research study done where they had uh, a set of patients not sleep well. They were sleep-deprived one night. The other other set slept very well. And they took out the T-cells, the white blood cells from each of them. And then they saw, they tried testing to see which ones would replicate faster, which ones were working better. And those in the group uh, that slept well had better functioning T-cells, which is crazy. Sleep is important for our immune system. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I am not a good sleeper. I do not have a good immune system. Um, But I will say being around children has strengthened my immune system, which kind of leads me to my next question. So sleep, obviously, and just being healthy in general, the nutrition they eat. A lot of schools, there's always like some black lung going around right now, you know, camp, schools, whatever it is, you put them in a preschool, you have a baby at home and your two-year-old comes home with a cold. So... What do you say to these these parents? Because a lot of people don't want to send their um, child to school because they are nervous that they're going to get sick and then bring it home to the baby. Is it better to just kind of expose your child, maybe not a baby, but expose your child to the germs so they build up a better tolerance?
2: So that's a great question. It's funny. And the reason I'm smiling so big is because some of my kids have gone to daycare early on, as early as six months. Yeah. And my six-year-old started at three and a half right before COVID. So she was there for like six months and then not again till kindergarten. Yeah. And I have a 20-month-old, and I do have a full-time nanny right now, mm-hmm. and he's not in daycare. However, his lovely, beautiful cousin, my nephew, is in daycare, started two weeks ago, and they were sharing cups within two or three days, hand, foot, mouth, all around my house. Oh, wow. So last week, I had my 20-month-old with a hand, foot, mouth, my six-year-old with hand, foot, mouth. So wow! I laugh because here I think like, okay, I have a nanny at home, my kid is good, So again, the answer really is about convenience. That's really what it comes down to. And I really, I'm a strong believer in general, this this is a conversation about breastfeeding versus formula, about daycare versus nanny. What works for you as a parent? And I think a lot of times we don't value ourselves and our own self-care and our own sanity because we're so concerned about the well-being of our child without realizing it goes hand in hand when we take care of ourselves and our needs. We're much better mothers yeah. and therefore our kids are much happier and healthier and can develop, you know, hands in hand with us. And so I think the answer really that I usually give is what works best for you? Yep. Because if daycare works best for you, don't feel like you need a nanny at home. If a nanny works best for you and that's, you know, your setting, definitely, you know, that's okay. I think what's important to remember is that parents think that if they wait longer to send their kids to daycare that they're not gonna get sick. Yeah, And it is true, you are holding off on the amount of time and the exposure your child has. My six year old started daycare at three and a half and she got sick as well. And that's good, yeah. that's healthy, that builds the immune system. So parents who are nervous about sending you to that's daycare and cool. wanna keep home their nanny, I think it's just important to keep in mind, your kid is still gonna get sick once you start daycare and that's okay and that's normal. Yeah.
1: You know, I really like research. So <laughs> the the literature about the daycares um, back in the early 90s was all negative. It mm-hmm. was about uh, children are going to get sick. I remember the graph right now. You know, if you have a one-year-old child in daycare, they will get sick an average of 10 times per year. That's every month. Yeah. Uh, right. And that's all they talked about, uh, how often you would get sick. And now the literature, if you take a look at it now and uh, the past 10 years about daycares is children who were exposed to all these viruses and all these pathogens early on have less asthma, have less allergies, uh, bringing it back to allergies. It's a different perspective, two different perspectives on the same matter. The truth is that in the end, uh, it is very uh, individualized because I can think of some scenarios where medically I would tell the parent, please do not send that child to daycare. For example, very bad asthma. Yeah. Um, you you just can't be exposed to a viral infection every month when you have severe asthma. Um, that's yep. that's not a good choice. So it really depends on yeah. your particular situation.
0: Absolutely. And I can say the same for speech and language development. Look, I have many friends who their children are just with the nanny and they go to classes or, you know, they might be in a daycare. They might start a tooth program really early. And... I always say to them, it's your preference. If it's easier for you to keep your child home, that is fine. Um, but I do believe that the more exposure, you know, even just going to classes, yes, most of them are outside now. So it's a little bit less of a exposure with germs. But unfortunately, your child, yes, might get sick, but they are socializing. They are hearing other people. They're exposed to the world. And I say that in every podcast, expose your child to more language, yeah. to speech. So from my perspective, yeah, I think, of course, it's absolutely individualized. But I do think the more exposure,
2: the better. The yeah. better. I think also that parents get nervous about, you know, the illness and daycare. So automatically that's like, should I keep my kid home for a nanny or should I send them to daycare? And really the truth is exactly what you said. Is your child the type of child who needs socialization? Yeah. Medically healthy and Mm -hmm. yeah, you know it's not it's not a question. Yep, because if not, maybe that's better. You know, maybe that's better. Even if they're going to get sick, at least three days out of the week they get to socialize. The other two days they can stay home with you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what
0: about putting tubes in your child's ears? Um, Constant ear infections, adenoids, tonsils. A lot of people ask me about this, and I don't actually have. I don't know if there's a perfect answer, but. What's your opinion on the whole subject?
1: Sure. I guess first off, we have to explain a little bit about ear infections. Mm -hmm. It's all plumbing, actually. Uh, The ear, right, you have an eardrum. And uh, when we're talking about ear infections, we're talking about internal ear infections are actually in the middle part of the ear. It's called otitis media, which is on the other side of the eardrum. It's inside of the body, not on the outside. Those are external infections that can happen from pool water. Uh, So talking about the internal infections, uh, there is a drainage pipe called the eustachian canal that drains the middle ear, and it empties out behind the nose. Uh, So If the nose is clogged up for any reason, the most common reason in a child is a cold, um, then your eustachian canal gets clogged up and then you accumulate pressure and fluid uh, behind that eardrum. That fluid, uh, stagnant water, as you know, can turn stinky after a few days if you leave it there. And that's what happens. Bacteria can start growing in there and it can turn that into a pus pocket and you have an ear infection. So uh, the question about tubes, well, the the idea behind tubes is that you can uh, relieve that pressure or you can let that pus, pus pocket be evacuated by putting a tube through the uh, ear drum. Uh, there are clear indications about when that should be done. So there's two of them basically. One is uh, when you're having way too many ear infections. Mm-hmm. And uh, as pediatricians, we refer out, so we know the indications when to refer out to the specialist, which would be an ENT yep. uh, surgeon to put in that tube. And that is three ear infections in a six-month period or four in a whole year, in 12 months. That's what we actually consider too many. Uh, And there's reasoning behind that, and it has to do with the second indication. Mm -hmm. The second indication for tubes are when you have fluid that even if it's not infectious, is still there for two long too much time so actually after any ear infection when that pus clears up and it turns into just clear fluid we call it serous fluid you're left with a middle ear effusion you're left with fluid behind that uh eardrum that's actually not infectious but it stays there and it can stay there uh, for up to three months ten percent of children will still have fluid in there at three months so as a pediatrician i always say come back in about four weeks i'll take a look at it still there Come back in another four weeks or in this case i'm going over yep. in four weeks and i'm looking at it and then if i hit the 12-week mark i refer out because having fluid in the middle ear as i'm sure you know is awful and very bad if you are acquiring language skills yes so a two-year-old right with a middle ear effusion yep. for three months after one ear infection and now i have another ear infection back to back with another three months that i have fluid back there all of a sudden, six months out of the year, I am hearing people's voices muffled, like I'm in a pool, uh, and this is this is not good for speech development. So yeah, this is when we refer out to get tubes, uh, so that we can relieve uh, that pressure and get that fluid out there, so we can uh, allow that child to acquire uh, language skills.
0: Yeah, and I love that because I always say to you, I have a lot of patients who. I don't know, sometimes it's the tonsils, the adenoids, the ears, but they just, something is going on with their speech and language development and they are always sick. And I say, just talk to a doctor. It is not going to hurt to look in your child's ears. And they might say, oh, well, they're not pulling on them anymore. They're not scratching. You know, they don't look sick. And I I love the fact that you said that it could last up to three yeah, months. Three months. Um, because now that helps me. I can explain to patients, they might not be pulling on their ear, but they might still have... Fluid. Fluid. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think... Th- Going one step further, parents ask, you know, so how do I prevent that? Yeah. Right. I don't want my kid on antibiotics all the time. I don't want my kid out of school all the time. How do I prevent that? And I always say saline is your kid's best friend and worst enemy. Good to know. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, if you are able, like Dr. Lima said, the piping, if you're able to flush that, the plumbing, (laughs) the piping, if you're able to flush that out, you know, there's better flow. Yep. So, you know, saline a few times a day, I remember... My actually, my six year olds again, she has tubes and she got them in last year. And I remember the ENT saying to me, you know, kids in daycare three times a day, saline them three times a day, whether they're sick or not. When they are sick, saline and suction six times a day. Sounds like torture. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's why it's worse than me also. I know. But the truth is the alternative to that is really, you know, going back to the doctor and speech delay yep. and antibiotics, which again, everything has its place. But really, I think if we tell parents saline, 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 it's over the counter, it's safe, it's indicated, it really helps with that plumbing. Absolutely. Yeah. Preventative care.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you guys were fabulous. Where can our listeners find you? We work with everyone in Miami, um, as do you guys, You're North Miami, South Miami. Um, where can everyone contact you to sign up?
1: We have our website. Uh, okay. It's lemuspediatrics.com.
0: Okay. L-E-M-U-S. 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 Yep. Yeah. Okay. And they just call, is there a wait list or are we able to get in since the school year are starting?
1: And- no, you you can get in. Great. Yeah.
0: Great. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This was very informative.
1: Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Talking With Tata podcast. Please subscribe and follow along wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever that may be. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talking With Tata and our website, TalkingWithTata.com.